This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. Um, tune our heart. It's only you can do to sing your grace. Sing your grace and, and your love. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Wow, that was, that was powerful, wasn't it? Uh, man. Thank you, uh, Aaron and worship team. Grateful for you and your service. Uh, We are continuing and ending a series this morning that we've been in over the last two months that we've called Tune My Heart. Um, I I think in God's divine wisdom and providence, I was um, in the shower, and and yeah, I guess it is God's divine wisdom and providence that I was in the shower, but but I was in the shower um, back in, I think it was September of last year, and I was singing this great hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, and the second stanza in it is, tune my heart to sing thy grace. And I prayed the short little prayer that just seemed to hook into my soul, God, would you tune my heart? Would you tune my heart? Because I think Robert Robinson, who wrote that great hymn back in 1757, put his finger on something that's true of every single human being, and it's this, that the heart can be either in tune or out of tune. And I didn't know this at the time, but I was getting ready to walk through a season of my heart's tuning being questioned. And like somebody twisting, like my kids twisting the strings on my guitar as I'm playing, and they walk by. The last three months have been pretty difficult for me. Uh, Many of you know, if you've been here, that on December 1st of last year, my my mom's battle with an undiagnosed brain condition ended, um, and she passed away and, and went to meet her maker. For some reason, uh, this week, that's been present in my mind. Uh, Almost too present, almost paralyzingly present in my mind. Three months later, and I can't exactly figure out or put my finger on why, other than God usually gives me a chance to practice what I'm going to preach. And so this week has been turmoil I need to preach on prosperity way more. I want to I practice that. I want to be able to tell you. Here's how. But, but um, I've been anxious. I've been divided between the thoughts of the past and wanting to live in the present. I've been divided between wanting to celebrate life and seeing all these great reasons to celebrate. And yet, the, this deep sorrow in my soul that... I can't seem to get on from, and I'm not necessarily sure I want to. And I love the fact that the Bible is written to very real people in a very real time with very real problems and troubles. It's not some sugar-coated book that just says, hey, everything is going to be great all the time. Just smile and skip and life is excellent and fun. It's actually grounded in reality, which is a good thing for you and me, isn't it? Isn't it? And isn't life, so much of life is this beautiful, terrible mixture of joy and pain, of looking forward to the future and regret from some of the things in our past. And if you're anything like me, I need to hear what we're going to study and learn about this morning. 
As we end our series on the spiritual disciplines, we're ending on a crescendo, one of the most noted and powerful disciplines that people who follow Jesus have practiced for centuries. It's this discipline of, of prayer, of prayer. And, and that's a huge landscape, a, a huge expanse of knowledge in the scriptures of, of how do we pray and what do we pray for and what does it look like to live a life of prayer. And in one 35-ish minute message, we can hope, right? Um, 35-ish minute message, there's no way I could ever cover everything that the scriptures say about prayer. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to be laser-focused in how prayer tunes our heart to sing his grace. So there's going to be things I leave out that are important to you when it comes to prayer. But my goal this morning is to dive into the way that through prayer, God molds us and changes us and tunes our heart to turn back to him to say, you are good regardless of whatever circumstance I find myself in. So uh, if you have a Bible, Philippians chapter 4 is where we're going to camp out this morning. Philippians chapter 4. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If not, it's going to be on the screen uh, behind me. And we want to simply ask the question for people that are walking in the brokenness of this very real world that we live in, what does it look like to have a heart that's in tune and healthy to this God who longs to pour life into us? The book of Philippians was written to a a church that Paul started in Philippi. These are people that he knows. These are people that he loves. Paul is writing from a Roman jail probably chained to a guard. Um, He knows, I think, intuitively that his life at some point is going to end at the hand of Caesar's men for his lack of, um, for for his unwillingness to declare that Caesar is Lord. And he knows that his friends, these Philippians, are going to, many of them are going to have the same lot that he's going to have. And so he writes him this letter This letter that's laced with this word joy from prison. But he writes it, this letter to people who may be wrestling with life much in the same way that I am and in the same way that you might be as well. Listen to what he says. Starting in verse 4 of chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord when things go your way. I mean, can we be honest for a moment? Wouldn't we love for it to say that? Because we could go, yeah, I can do that. Like, I can, I can rejoice when, when things line up, when, when life goes exactly the way that I want it to, when I'm fairly free of pain and sorrow and hurt, then, then I can rejoice. But that's not what Paul writes, is it? He says, rejoice in the Lord. And then he has this modifying word that tells us when, always, always, always. I say again, rejoice. So, so to people who may walk the same road that Paul's going to walk, this road of persecution for their faith, this road of potentially losing their job because of their faith in the Messiah, in Christ, for those who are going to find themselves in jail, he declares, rejoice, rejoice. It's this Greek word, um, Cairo. Its, uh, its root word is charis, which means gift. 
which means gift or, or good gift. So this man in prison, this man named Paul, who wrote this letter in prison says, rejoice. And it's not forced. It's not this like churchy kind of rejoice, you know, like somebody died a few thousand years ago and so we should be perpetually fakely happy. Can we, I mean, right? Rejoice. Hey, I know I'm walking through it and I know it's difficult and I know it's painful, but rejoice. It's not what the word means. It's not what the word means. It's word, this word rejoice is taken from this root word gift. And so what Paul declares to these people who are going to read this letter and then by way of transference, you and I this morning rejoice in whatever situation you find yourself in, there's gift to behold. It's this beautiful, wonderful declaration by Paul that God is at work even in this. Fill in the blank. It's this acknowledgement, this increased awareness that even though life may not be going exactly the way that I want it to go and the dream I had in my head of what my Fridays would look like hanging out with my mom and my kids just isn't there. And he says, in the midst of that, rejoice. Survey the scene. It's this increased level of awareness of the fingerprints of God that are all over our life. Not fake happy. Alert awareness. I mean, play out Paul's sort of scenario in your mind. This is a guy who's given his life to the work of the Lord. His declared purpose is, I want to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to the places that it is not, so that those who don't know the name of Jesus would bow and worship, not just now, but for all of eternity. That was his life's mission. And he finds himself in jail. I mean, essentially, it's the end of the mission as he saw it. And he says, rejoice. God's fingerprints are on even this. It doesn't look the way I want it to, but hey, the Roman guard who's chained to me, he's going to hear the name of Jesus every day. And he starts to write these letters because he's in jail. Letters that he has no idea if anybody will ever get or ever read. If that isn't irony, I don't know what is. But rejoicing is this declaration for him. I will see the fingerprints of God everywhere in my life. And I will have this increased level of awareness that causes me to see things that maybe others would simply walk by. And he goes on. He says, not only rejoice, but let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The NIV translates that word reasonableness, gentleness. I like that a little bit better. Not that I like the word gentleness better, I just think it's a little bit more accurate. It's this word forbearance. And he says, not only do we want to become the type of people in the midst of persecution and hardship and trial and pain who see the fingerprints of God, but we also want to become the type of people who don't just respond when others attack us. That's what the word means. The word means that when the world would naturally just um, jump at a chance to respond and defend themselves, that the followers of Jesus live contrary. They live a little bit different. 
Circumstances may be, Paul writes, circumstances may be the, in, the, in the sort of category that would cause us to have a short fuse, to immediately react, to say things we might regret, that when people antagonize us, we'll want to come right back at them and defend our dignity and pride. And he says followers of Jesus, they, they live a little bit different. They have this quiet strength, this forbearance that allows them not to be people who just simply react, but who think and who are grounded enough in who Jesus is that they develop these non-reactive patterns of thinking. We see things in a larger scope, he says, than just the here and now. So, These two verses present God's sort of divine plan for those who follow him. We would see his fingerprints and we would be non-reactive when the world starts to press in on us and hurt and sorrow and pain start to become a piece of our life. Now, by show of hands, how many people is that easy for? Right. Exactly. Me neither. Me neither. In fact, in fact, I find myself far more often in the other realm that he talks about now. He says this, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Okay, now, joyful and forbearing or anxious, let's take another vote, okay? How many people often find themselves anxious? Right. So he gives us this plan of God's design, be joyful and forbearing. And then he says, and don't be the opposite of that, anxious, anxious. It's this really interesting, and somebody joked that I looked like a professor this morning, and so I am going to give you some Greek words today, okay? A little bit more professorly. Anxious is this wonderful Greek word, um, merimnao, and it comes from this word root meris, which means parts, Parts. So, so what Paul says is there's this a tendency away from seeing the fingerprints of God, away from walking in gentleness and forbearance that leads us to parts. This mind that's divided. It's what it means. A fractured mind. A mind that lives part of its world in the past and part of it in the future and very little of it in the present. This mind that sits in bed as you turn off the lights and replays the comment that that person made to you that day. And like running on a treadmill, expending a ton of energy and going nowhere, the anxious mind has a tendency to exhaust, doesn't it? And we wonder why we're just worn out sometimes. Should I take that comment in a negative way? Is that the way they mean it? Am I going to rent space in my head to that person in that fleeting comment? Or, um, and, and I'm already doing it, right? I'm already doing it. We're divided in like a ping pong ball back and forth. Our mind is consumed with either the past and regrets or future failure that isn't even a reality yet, but we're living there. And Paul says, it happens. This life that God designed us for, we often forfeit for parts. For parts. 
I've had this happen to me a few times in my life, more than a few daily. So, so I, me- I mentioned this week that I've had a chance to practice what I preach. So I've, I've been, I've felt anxious all week. I can only remember one other time in my life when I felt as anxious as I have this week. And it was when I was deciding to move from California to Colorado. I actually went into the doctor to have an EKG to see if I was having a heart attack. So this week I'm lying in bed and it just feels like an elephant sitting on my chest. I'm like, Lord, what is going on here? And there's just all these things mixed up in my heart and in my mind. We, um, we hired an ELC director who was supposed to start on February 17th. And we were so, by we, I was so excited about what she was going to bring to the center. And on February 17th, she was conspicuously absent. And I thought, that's interesting to be late on day one. And so I'm texting and emailing and calling and putting like um, airplanes with messages on them in the sky. And at 1045 that night, I got an email that said, my former employer offered me more money and I'm staying. All right. Well, Lord, what do you want me to do with that? And so I start playing this game that maybe you play with yourself. Was it, was it me? Was it us? And I got all these emails from well-intentioned people. The Lord saved you from something. Well, that's great, but he didn't save me from the work of hiring a new director. (laughs) And that's what's keeping me up. And that's what's bouncing around like a ping pong ball. And so it could be a ton of other things that you bring to the table that this parts identifies us. It's the fear of maybe our kids' safety. It's the fear of what does the future entail? It's the fear of what is the job market going to look like? And is the stock market still going to exist? And is social security? And on and on and on. Parts. Parts. Well, what do we do? When life starts to get out of whack and go down that road, here's what Paul says. Here we, here's what Paul says. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything as if it's that easy. Right, don't you love that? Some of these black and white statements that the Bible makes at times. Last week, we talked about Nehemiah who, who says to his people, stop your crying. We joked in small groups, had to be written by a man. Right? I mean, stop your crying. Oh, yeah, that'll work well in the next uh, dispute you get in with your spouse, right? So, so, so he says, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. But, but in everything, by prayer and petition, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And he makes this beautiful statement. That the battle for a healthy heart and a healthy mind is both waged and won in prayer. His point is this, that what, what nutrients and healthy food and vitamin give to the physical body, so prayer gives to the soul. It feeds it. So God can say in the book of Isaiah, incline your ear. Like, it's this picture of lean in, lean in, and come to me, hear, and catch this, that your soul may live. Now, what if we started to believe and become the type of people who had this assumption 
that there was a voice of God that we needed and depended on for our vitality in life. Because that's what both Paul and Isaiah invite us to. Not this trite, easy, throw up a prayer and everything's gonna be okay. But this idea, connect to me, the giver of all life, and what you hear as you connect to me will fill your soul up with life. I envision prayer like these infusions that my mom would get in the last few months of her life. She was unable to eat, and so she needed to go to the hospital, and they would pump her full of all of these essential nutrients that her body was lacking because she couldn't chew or swallow. And she would sit in this chair, and afterwards she would feel a little bit different for a few days. And the picture that Paul paints of prayer is the same, that without it, the heart withers, the heart grows distant, the heart grows cold, but with it, anxiety is almost an afterthought. At least that's what he proposes. I love the way that Martin Luther puts it when he says this, prayer is a strong wall and fortress of the church. It is goodly Christian, a goodly Christian weapon. It is the best tuning of the heart discipline that's at our fingertips, tip of our tongue, right in our mind. But here's the thing. Can, I, can, I, can we look up at me for just a second? I don't know if there's a discipline that evokes more guilt in God's people. And I say that to you from personal experience and from interaction with you. That, that I think we talk about prayer and the first thought in our mind is, oh, we're talking about prayer again. And I don't pray enough. I know I don't pray enough. And the pastor's going to make me feel guilty. And that's what church always made me do, which is why I left. And now I'm back. And I don't know if I want to be back because I'm going to walk out feeling guilty. This isn't about guilt. This is about growth, okay? So let's just put that off to the side. Should we pray more? You should pray always. So yeah, you should pray more. (laughs) Has that ever helped anyone? You know, nobody writes on their bulletin, I should pray more, and then goes and prays more. We just don't do it. So what I want to do is, as best I can, paint a picture of what Paul proposes prayer does in our hearts. My goal is that that picture would haunt me and would haunt you to the point that we run to our Heavenly Father with a little bit of a different consistency, with a little bit of a different tone, to fight for something a little bit different rather than just praying to take it off of the task list, but to fight for our hearts. I love it when I read scripture that prayer has always been a sort of difficult thing for followers of Jesus. I mean, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, pray that you may not enter into temptation. On the night he's betrayed, in the garden, he commands his disciples, pray. And when he rose, so he went away, and in verse 45 it says, he rose from prayer, so Jesus nails it. Big surprise there. (laughs) And he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. I mean, anybody else, you go, yeah, that's my, that is a picture of my prayer life. He says, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. See, here's what Jesus knows. 
power in prayer. There's power in prayer. It is the way that we battle and win the, 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 the fight for our heart and our mind. So, let me just throw this out there. What if anxiety? What if fear? Instead of something that we either tried to get over or dug our heels into, what if it was simply just a um, trigger for us to pray? What if? That's what Paul proposes. And look at what he says. Because I think that he's going to give us some hints as to the power of prayer as he uses these different words to talk about prayer. So let me um, unpack these a little bit for you and hopefully paint a picture of what prayer is intended to do in our soul with the hope that it might haunt you, okay? Bet you've never heard a pastor say that before. <laughs> do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer. So, so he uses this first Greek word for prayer, prosuche. Will you say that with me? Prosuche, yeah. So it's just this, it's a simple word for prayer. It's um, sort of an umbrella that all prayer could some way, in some way, fit under. It's simply engaging with God. It's this idea that God is present, and he is real, and he is now, and he is holy, and he is powerful. It's Isaiah's vision in Isaiah chapter 6 where he notes the whole world is full of your glory, O oh God. And what Paul suggests is that prayer has this ability to take the focus off of us and put it on him. And so here's what he would say to us. Prayer, in a very powerful, transformative way, reframes our perspective. It reframes our perspective. It aligns us with a greater reality of what's going on in our world right now. And I don't know about you, but I have this tendency to, to sleep through life unless something wakes me up. And what Paul says is prayer has that ability. What if we lived more aware that God is present what if we lived more aware that God is powerful, that he is real? What if we lived more aware that he's here? Paul seems to think that that might just change us. See, prayerlessness shrinks my world to only me. This is the devastating part of a prayerless life. It's zoomed in on me. So my wife and I, we go and see about two movies a year right, because it costs about $1,000 <laughs> after babysitting, right? Okay, so uh, a few weeks ago, we went and saw a movie, and um, we went to South Glen, and it's been so long since I've seen a movie that I didn't know that it's, like, really upscale, and you need to reserve a spot at a movie theater. Anyway, so you have to reserve a seat at a movie theater, so on Valentine's Day, we walk in a half hour before the show, pat ourselves on the back, think we're doing great, and the nice girl at the little window um, turns this computer around and says, here's the seats that are available, and both of them are in the front row of this, and I don't know that there's an aisle, the aisle was big enough for the fire exit. It was as close to the screen as you can imagine being. So Kelly and I say, well, if that's all you got, then we'll take it. And we walk in and we sit down, the only two people in the theater, front row. So the other people who walk in right after us are like right next to us and they're like, brutal, huh? And I'm like, yes, 
Absolutely. We're sitting there. <laughs> and we're watching the commercials, and we're talking for a little bit, and then we watch the commercial and talk for a little bit. And, and I say to her, I don't think I can do this. <laughs> like, we're, we're, we're too close to the action. I can't see the whole screen. That was my big, I want to see, if I'm going to see two movies this year, I want to see them. And so we go and we get our money back and we go to normal theater and Highlands Ranch and get to just pick our seat. It was brilliant, beautiful. But I think a prayerless life, here's what a prayerless life does, is it presses us so close to the action that surrounds us that we have no ability to see anything except what we see. And here's what prayer does. Here's what I think Paul suggests in using this word. Prayer hits this zoom out button where we start to see a bigger perspective. And it changes us. It tunes our heart. Well, he goes on. He goes on and he says, don't be anxious about anything. But, so this is the solution to anxiety as far as the scriptures would say, but in everything, by prayer, by acknowledging who God is and what God's done. And then he says, and supplication, which is this Greek word just desis. It simply means to, to plea for or to ask. It's those short prayers that we pray maybe sometimes without ever knowing it. Maybe we're driving north on Broadway and we're cruising down that hill that's there and we see the policemen parked in the little side street. 35 miles an hour, are you kidding me? Going down that street? You got it. So, so it's that prayer of, oh sweet Lord, and you hit the brakes as if that's conspicuous, right? Please Lord, please Lord, please Lord, please. It's that, that desist prayer. God, please, I need you, show up. And then also in the bigger things in life too. God, I need you to move in this. I need you to work. I need you to flex your muscles and show your power. See, here's what Paul suggests, is that prayer renews our dependence. Because you and I have this crazy ability to start to think in our minds that we are actually in control of anything in our life. And we're not. Prayer reminds us both how big God is in the declaration that he's holy and that he's present and that he's here and he's powerful. And it also, in turn, reminds us of how small we are when we need to ask for things as simple as our daily bread. And the prayerless life, the prayerless life causes me to buy the lie that I need to fill in the blank and that I can fill in the blank. I need to fix the relationship. I need to make sure that we have enough retirement. I need to make sure that everybody's safe. I need to. And all these things that in reality, if we stop, stop and step back and think about, are actually out of our hands to a large degree. See, see I think one of the reasons that many of us don't pray is because this terrifies. To ask God means I admit I cannot. And it may be one of the most freeing admittances in our 
lives. I love the way that the very strange author, Anne Lameau, puts it, and oftentimes brilliant. She says this, If I were going to begin practicing the presence of God for the first time today, it would help to begin by admitting three most terrible truths of our existence. That we are so ruined and so loved and in charge of so little. I think the book is called Help, Thanks, Wow. Three words that define prayer. So, will you admit that today? Maybe just in your own heart and in your own mind, there's a freedom that comes from admitting, God, I cannot, but I'm praying because you can. You're able. Hey, hey, Jesus, if you walked out of the grave, Jesus, there's nothing in my life that's bigger than that, right? Nothing. So he says, come to me. Engage with me, walk with me, pray. Pray. And remember that you are, admit that you are, recognize afresh that you are dependent people. Everything you have is gift. Everything. And he goes on. He says this. So don't be anxious about anything. But in prayer, recognize that God is real, present, powerful. With supplication, so remember, you're dependent and ask. You have a good heavenly father who loves you. Ask him. He longs to give good gifts to his kids. And with thanksgiving, it's this word, eucharistas. It's, it's, it's a, a declaration of recognizing gifts. And so, it's the last word that I think Paul stirs as he wants to walk us to a place where anxiety doesn't reign and rule, but where the freedom to live in joy and to walk in gentleness does. He says, prayer reminds us of God's rich blessing that's already present. And in all of these words, I don't think he gives us a, a formula some formulas are helpful. I'm not going to go acrostic and go, acts, adoration, confession. Although there's some benefit to that, I'm not going there because I don't think that's what he intends. I think what he intends is to paint this broad, sweeping picture of the prayer-filled life, the life that sees and recognizes gift all around and returns to God to say thank you, the life that recognizes that we are utterly dependent on God's provision and he graciously provides everything that we need, the life that notices we are not alone, that God is present. And I think he uses all these different words for prayer, to invite us deeper, not into a formula, but to a relationship. Where I think he would declare, whatever way you pray, whatever way works, as you engage God in this gratitude, in this seeing, in this asking, whatever way that works best for you, do it. I think prayer has been relegated to far too narrow of a definition for followers of Jesus. I think you can pray while you talk with somebody. I think you can pray while you exercise. I think you can pray when you go to a prayer meeting. But I don't think it's relegated to that. And I know it's not relegated to Sunday morning. And I think if maybe we gave ourselves the freedom to pray in different ways, we might pray more. Hey, you can, have, you can pray as you're eating a meal with good friends. You can pray as you're driving. Don't close your eyes. 
you can pray while you're driving. You probably should pray more while you're driving. <laughs> he says, no, it's not a formula. It's a way of life. It's a way of life. It's sort of like rejoicing. It's not a formula. It's a way of life. It's sort of like being gentle. It's not a formula. If I execute this, this, and this, then I'm gentle. No, it's a way of walking and being in our world that leads us to this wonderful, beautiful freedom that he designed us for. So listen to the way he talks about that. Paul says, and then, so, so in light of God's design for rejoicing and gentleness, anxiety often takes hold, but the way we take back the reins, or better said, give God the reins to our heart and our soul, instead of being carried away in the sea of worry and fear and anxiety, we give God the reins back as we engage with him in prayer. And then he gives us this promise, and the peace of God, which surpasses, it transcends. It's this beautiful Greek word that signifies it leaps over and abounds. All understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful promise, friends. See, for a Hebrew mind like, like Paul to write this word, peace, it's not simply the absence of war. For the Hebrew mind, uh, the word shalom was this word that they used for peace. And it didn't just mean absence of conflict or absence of war. It meant presence of wholeness. So you see, in contrast to parts, Paul proposes that the prayerful person lives in wholeness, is enveloped in the reality that their heavenly father is here and loves them and is walking with them. And he starts to heal. And he starts to bring to fruition his original design. So he says, run to me, come to me in prayer. And the peace that I give, which surpasses all understanding, that means you're not going to be able to unpack it and explain it. And so life's still going to hurt. I think that's what he's saying. Because he doesn't say, hey, pray, and then the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your minds because God will fix it all. Man, I wish that's what that passage said. But it doesn't. It doesn't. It's a promise. Come, abide, connect, and I will be enough for you. So, here's his point. The pathway to peace is paved with prayer. And he says that kind of peace guards your heart and your mind. And he pictures, I mean, the Philippian church had all of these Roman guards packed into their city. They knew what a guard looked like. And he says, hey, when you pray, when you engage with God, he stands guard at the wall of your mind and says, no, 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 fear is not welcome here. Anxiety, no, 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 it's, you're not welcome here. The parts that we often live in, he says, no, my peace, my wholeness, my blessing, my shalom resides over this heart and this mind. And that's all that's welcome here. Friends, I pray that you and I would be the type of people that would press in when life gets difficult, 
that would see the glorious, beautiful hand of God and that would respond in worship and live lives of rejoicing, awareness of gift, gentleness, non-reactive patterns of thinking, and peace, completeness, wholeness, because his shalom covers our heart and mind. A few ways to respond as the band comes up. Um, we're going to close this series by singing Come Thou Founts together as a prayer. I want to just sort of plant a few seeds in your mind, though. One, how might God be inviting you to apply this message? Maybe it starts small with five or ten minutes a day. Maybe it's coming to this worship and prayer night that we're going to have. I think it should be that. So cards on the table, you should be here. Um, but also through this season of Lent, um, as uh, Chris mentioned, we're going to be using this prayer booklet called Seek God for the City. There's going to be ushers as you walk out who will give these to you. Um, they're a prayer guide. That's all they are. They're just a simple tool for us to return back to God to say, God, how might you long for me to engage you on behalf of these people you love? So on your way out, um, will you grab one of these, one, uh, one per family? You can also download them online. All that information is going to be on our website, and it's an app you can have on your phone. Just as a reminder of a way to engage with him through prayer, I, I hope that you'll take us up on this offer to return back to God in prayer that he might guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Would you stand with me as we pray and then sing one last song together? This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.